We're here, church. Come on, let's go to stand together.
his praise sing his praise awake awake my soul sing his praise sing his praise
Jesus, you're all my soul desires. 
Nobody else deserves my life But Jesus, my all Jesus, my
we say as a church that you are holy, holy, holy. And by saying that, Lord, we say that you are so completely other. There is no one on earth or in heaven who is like you. You are high above them. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. Church, we're just going to echo that scripture of great is the Lord and greatly to be praised for a few times. I'm going to say great is the Lord and you're going to say back and greatly to be praised. So church, I say great is the Lord. Again, great is the Lord. beautiful time of worship of just lifting up the name of Jesus amen as we come into our time of tithes and offering I was thinking as we're singing about all that Jesus had done for us and the ways that he's just been so faithful and so good to us I was thinking about my one of my best friends Steve Uh, we were college roommates and earlier this year uh, back in around February Steve 
was hospitalized and ended up spending about two months in the ICU. Doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. His heart was failing. He couldn't breathe on his own. Um, and just in a moment, he went from thriving to fighting for his life. And a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Steve on the phone. He's healthy now. But I was talking to him and I was like, hey, Steve, how, how are you able to keep your faith in that season when, when it seemed like you were at rock bottom? The song we just sang, there's a line. There was a moment when it seemed dark, that the light was just gone. I was like, Steve, how did, you, how did you hold on to faith in that dark time? And I loved his response. He said, he said, at rock bottom, I realized that God was with me and that he was my rock at the bottom. And Steve's story reminds me of Psalm 116, verse 12 through 13, where David says, he says, <laughs> it gets me emotional because I can relate to this passage of scripture. But he says, what can I give to God for all the ways that he's blessed me in my life and David's response to that is I will lift up my hands I will lift up his cup of salvation for all the ways that he's blessed me and in my life and I just love that scripture as we come with our giving tonight because it reminds us that we have, to, we have to look back at all the ways that God has shown up in our lives. It reminds us that there's, there's thanksgiving that plays a role in our giving because we have to remember and then be thankful for all the ways that God has shown up, that he's been so faithful to us, that we couldn't be here without all the, the ways that he's shown up for us. We wouldn't have access to the Father without the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us. And so as you give today, I just want to let you guys take a moment to just remember all the ways that God has been good to you. And then we're going to go back into another song where we're just going to thank Jesus for all the ways that he's shown up for us. So God, with gratitude in our hearts, Lord God, God, we thank you for all the ways that you've shown up for us, Lord, and the ways that you've rescued us, the ways that you've healed us, Father Lord Jesus. God, our only response is just to simply say thank you. Thank you for the ways that you've shown up to us, Lord. Thank you for uh, just the ways that you saved us, Lord God. So we sing out, Lord God, all praise to the Lord most high. All praise to the one who saved us. All praise to the one who gave us peace. So Lord, we choose to walk in your peace, Lord. We choose to walk in a manner of thanksgiving, Lord, looking back at all the ways that you showed up for us. There are four ways to give. Join us as we continue to worship.
the Spirit of the Lord is doing something among us as a congregation. I don't know if you can feel it. On a week-to-week basis, I'm coming in here, and just new dimensions in the Spirit are opening up among us. Last week, we had 913 people here at church, which is crazy. We had to pull in chairs. and anyway, Just don't look now, but God is on the move, and he's doing great things. So I'm honored to be a part of that with you. I'm Daniel Grothy, pastor here at Friday night. If you're new, we would love to meet you at Guest Central at the back uh, after the service and give you a gift. So that's one announcement. Second announcement, say, no church next week. Okay, you can come if you want. Have a great time in the parking lot, okay? The building will be locked. We're going to be celebrating, eating leftovers, taking naps. I'll be in god-awful, ugly sweats all week long. So anyway, have a great Thanksgiving week. Be with your people. We will not have church next week. I told you, okay? The third thing that I want to say is when you come back, December 1st, Two Fridays from now, we're going to have our legacy offering. And we are $1.9 million in debt as a church, and we're going to pay it off that weekend, okay? We're going to pay that junk off that weekend. So I got faith for it. Uh, We're going to give that offering on Sunday the 3rd at 9 and 11 a.m., so come ready. We're going to bring our first through sixth graders in, and don't worry. Like, some of them are going to bring offerings. Maybe they clean the house for you this week. Give them $5. Give them $20, whatever. Let them participate. But even for the kids who don't bring money, we're going to have cash here, and we're going to give cash to all the kids to put in, just because we want everyone feeling involved, all right? So we're asking, if, all, if, if you're on the brink financially, no shame. Bring a quarter, Okay. Let's have 100% engagement that night. Everyone coming through the room will have baskets on the stage. We'll worship, we'll come through, and we'll say, Lord, we trust you. Now pay this debt off in Jesus' name. It's going to be a great time, December 1st, so mark your calendar. Now, take two minutes. Cross the aisle. Hug a neck. Shake a hand. Be kind to the people around you. Then I'll come open the Bible. One, two, three. Be nice.
Okay, so I should clarify something. We don't have church next Friday, but we do have church next Sunday at all of our congregations. I heard, saw some people from East over here going, we don't have church next week? Yes, you do, okay? We just, we get a week off, you don't, okay? So anyway, consider the matter clarified. A couple things before we get started tonight. First, we're just gonna have fun. It's gonna be a great night. You'll see why here in a minute. But Don and Shirley Matthews are celebrating 45 years of marriage today. Love these two. I just want to be like them. Don's 91. Shirley's 45. Eh. Been married all her life. Uh, Don't don't ask questions. Um, Anyway, they come to church every Friday. They get dinner beforehand, maybe get some ice cream, come and worship, and then go home together. And I, I told Lisa, that's the future. That's what we want to be like. So we bless you. We honor you. 45 years. Give it up for Don and Shirley. And then tomorrow, the Missy Joy Call turns 40 years old. Missy's right here. Wave your hand, Missy. Wave your hand, Missy. Missy's right here. She's been around here forever. She has served so many of our kids and taught them, and she's involved in just everywhere in the church. Missy, we love you. We bless you. Happy early birthday. Uh, Andrew Arndt is here tonight to speak with me. So give it up for Andrew Arndt. Come on, Andrew Arndt. Andrew is just one of my best friends on the planet. I love this guy to death. <laughs> love you, man. Uh, we've known each other. I, I met him when I was 14 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's now 27 years ago. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute. Um, we get to work together. He pastors New Life East. He used to work here on the New Life Friday night team until he was poached by the Holy Spirit to go plant a church on the east side of town. But he's still in the New Life team. So he's just a part of the family, expanding the family. And we've, as a church, been in this series going through 1 Kings, and this is week 15. And it's been a, a blast, at least for me. Some of you are all like, I'm ready, I'm done, I'm good. I'm, <laughs> next. Are we next? Um, but it's been a great time, and we wanted tonight to just do a closing summary of the book of 1 Kings. What have we learned in 15 weeks? What has the Lord spoken to us? How has the Spirit stirred us? Where have the, there have been provocations uh, through this text? And so we're going to say five things tonight that we've learned in 15 weeks of studying 1 Kings. But before we do, can we pray? Can you quiet your hearts? Can you throw away your cell phones? Can you say, come Holy Spirit and open yourself up tonight? Lord, here we are. And we say we need you. It will not be by power, it will not be by might, it will be by the Spirit of the Lord that we are spoken to tonight. It will not be through wise and persuasive words, it won't be through trickery or manipulation, it won't be through acute talk, it won't be through any, speak Holy Spirit, we need you. And you have a long track record of showing up among the people. When the people gather in your presence and say, come Holy Spirit, you just do your thing. And you want to speak to us more than we want to be spoken to. And you want to lead us more than we want to be led. And so we're in good hands tonight. Yeah, we are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be glorified here tonight. Open our hearts. And you know how to speak to each one of us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would have your way here. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Five things, Andrew, number one. A people rises and falls on the character of its leaders. What have we learned in the book of 1 Kings? First thing, a people rises and falls on the character of its leaders. Sound familiar? Yeah. Take it away. I mean, that's surely the message of Kings, isn't it? When I look back over the past 15 weeks and all that we've studied, it's called the book of the Kings for a reason. And as the leaders go, so the nation goes. And so when the leaders are doing well and they're righteous, it is strength for the people of God. They rally around that. And when the leaders are off kilter in some way, shape, or form, the people are off kilter in some way. And it's the rare occurrence really throughout biblical history that the people are better than their leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I think as the leaders go, the people goes. Solomon himself earlier in life said, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. Yes. When the wicked rule, the people groan. uh, They groan. Yeah. Yeah, they groan. The character of its leaders. Jesus said, you know, strike the shepherd. Yeah. And you scatter the sheep. Yeah. And we're in this moment that I think we have to pay attention. We have this penchant for power Mm. in our moment. And we want a leader that's strong. We want a leader that's going to show us the way. We want a leader that's going to run off all his enemies or her enemies. And and I just, I don't know, like in my lifetime, I've been... I started voting, what, 23 years ago? 2000. You did. 2000 yeah. was my first Dang. one. I had the Bush Cheney sticker on the back of my car, <laughs> so you know? I, you know, spoiler alert, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Uh, tw- you know, 2000. Uh, and it just seems like in my short experience of voting, uh, the hatred has stirred up. The vitriol has stirred up. It used to be that two candidates could stand on a stage and talk, debate mm-hmm. ideas, and they'd, you know, they'd go for a dig every once in a while. But most of the time, it was respectful, and there was some decency and back and forth. Now it's just there will be blood. Yeah, yep. It, it has become a sport yep. to destroy the other side, and I just don't think it's working for us. Yep, yep. And when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. And it seems like we have traded... Mm-hmm our values for someone who's going to be powerful. Yeah. And this is what we see right at the beginning of the history of Israel. They say, give us a king. Give us a king. And that will be like all the nations around yes. us, is what they say. And they, <laughs> they mean that in a sense that they don't quite understand. And God understands that, that you will. He says, you're going to be become careful just what like, you ask for. That's right. Be careful what you ask for. You're going to become just like the nations around you. I think that the character of a godly leader has got to be fundamentally different than the character of somebody who's in the world. One of the things that I've thought about often as I've uh, been studying kings and preaching kings is thinking about how even in the Pentateuch, so the first five books of the Bible, God predicts that his people are going to be asking for a king. Mm -hmm. And he makes provision for it. But what he says about the king is he's like, just so you know, like when you walk down this road, it's not going to be all roses for you. But when you do get a king, this is what I want the king to do. Yeah. The king is to be a person who makes a copy yes. of the law. Torah. And then all the days of their life, mainly what they do is they meditate on the law of the Lord. 
and then they try to lead the people into the law of yep. the Lord. And the moment leadership gets divorced from righteousness, yes. I think all we have then is power. Yep. And we've known it all along. We've been saying it for centuries, but power corrupts unless you know how to keep that power submitted. So I told you about this earlier, but mm-hmm. uh, I was reading this little study in the Harvard Business Review not too long ago. And the researcher says this about power. This is fascinating. He says, in the behavioral research that I've conducted over the past 20 years, I've uncovered a disturbing pattern. He says, while people usually gain power through traits and actions that advance the interests of others. So just think about the way that the scriptures talk about what our power is given for. Like our power is given for the good of others, to lift up other people. And this researcher says that you usually gain power through traits and actions that advance the interests of others, such as empathy, collaboration, openness, fairness, and uh, sharing. And when they start to feel powerful or enjoy a position of privilege, those qualities automatically begin to fade. So this is quantitative research that this person has done. The powerful, he says, are more likely than other people to engage in rude, selfish, and unethical behavior. I call this phenomenon, quote, the power paradox, and I've studied it in numerous settings, colleges, the U.S. Senate, pro sports teams, and a variety of other professional workplaces. In each, I've observed that people rise on the basis of their good qualities, but their behavior grows increasingly worse as they move up the ladder. Then watch this. He says, the shift can happen surprisingly quickly. In (laughs) In one of my experiments known as the Cookie Monster Study, I brought people into a lab in groups of three and randomly assigned one to a person of a position of leadership in the group. And then I gave them a group writing task. A half hour into their work, I placed a plate of uh, freshly baked cookies, one for each team member, so three of them, plus a fourth in front of everyone. In all the groups, each person took one and out of politeness left the extra cookie aside. The question was who would take a second treat knowing that it would deprive others of that same extra. And it was nearly always the person who I'd named the leader. (laughs) In addition, this is fantastic. In addition, the leaders were more likely to eat with their mouths open, lips smacking, and crumbs falling on their clothes. (laughs) Because I can. Because I can. I'm in charge. And we see that in Kings, don't we? Yeah. Solomon starts out as this humble, wise, godly leader. He says to God, I'm just a little child. I don't know how to do this, Lord. You just give me a heart of wisdom. And there's that great moment where God's like, I'm going to give you wisdom and so much more. But then he comes to the end of his life and he believes that he's above the rules. Right. He believes that he's higher than righteousness, that he's higher than Torah. Mm-hmm. And so he starts playing with all of the rules and he dies the first in a long line of apostate kings yeah. in Israel. Why? Because the power got to his head and he forgot that the first job of leadership is to say, stay submitted to God. I remember being in seminary and one of my professors was an ethics class and this guy was the president of the university and just an absolute baller. 60 years old and had been in the game for 40 years, but had still had his soul. He still had his innocence. He still was clean. He was pure-hearted. He was kind. He was gracious. He, he spoke to everyone. He was the last person to leave. He was someone you want to be like. And, and he said to me one day, we, we had lunch, and he said, Daniel, I just want to warn you. And I said, yes, Dr. Beals. He said, the older you become and the more power you accrue, you will be tempted to institutionalize your preferences. Ooh, ooh. And he said, don't you ever institutionalize your preferences. And he said, show up at the church sometime and just clean some toilets. 
and show up at the church sometime and just set up the chairs and tear down the tables and do things that you don't want to do. He said, every room you walk into as you get older, people will start looking to you and you need to run from that like the plague. Mm. And so friends, if you are a leader, some of you are business owners here and you've got 40 employees and Monday morning you show up and they're looking to you and rightly so. What if you used your strength to serve everybody else? That's right. What if you prayed before the Lord? I wanna, I wanna be clean when I'm old. I wanna be innocent when I'm old. I wanna use my strength. The strength was made for service. It was yes, not made for status. That's, that's right. how Eugene Peterson translated yes, the text. That's right. Strength was meant for service, service, not for status. Yeah. And so we've been studying 1 Kings for 15 weeks and we've noticed that a people rises and falls on the character of its leaders. And I wanna show you toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter 5. Mm. Peter's an old man. You know the story of Peter. He had... He botched it so many times, denied Jesus three times. Peter, Peter had crashed and burned plenty. But at the end of his life, as he's now this old sage, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And here's what he says. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, not for money, but eager to serve and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Not lording it over Mm. the people, but willing to serve. A people rises and falls on the character of its leaders. Mm. Second thing that we've learned in Mm -hmm. this 15 weeks is that a spirit of self-promotion won't take you where you think it'll take you. Self-promotion, we've got, this whole book introduces us to the dark realities of rivalry. We see backroom brokering at the expense of another person. We see brothers rising up against brothers. We see political coups and usurpation. We see all kinds of of back-channeling and infighting and trying to tear down and destroy someone else's character so that I can get ahead and climb the ladder. We see this book, and and really this book makes you ask, how's that working out for you? And uh, it says in verse 5 of chapter 1, now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, Mm put himself forward and said, I will be king. His dad, David, is old. He's getting ready to die. And Solomon is queued up to be the leader. And Adonijah tries to throw a coup. He says, I will be king. So he got his chariots and horses ready and with 50 men to run ahead of him. And I'll just say to you, God will not honor rivalry. God will not honor destroying someone else for your own good. Brady says it around here all the time. Mm. If you have to lose for me to win, all of us lose. That's right. And God will not honor rivalry. Absalom and Adonijah tried to usurp and steal the, the, the throne. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, I want to now zoom back on how did David, their dad, yep. get the throne? So David's now firmly established. He's getting ready to die. The kingdom is united. The monarchy is strong. But but how did David become king? 1 Samuel 16, Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, I mean, there's the runt. There's the uneducated one. There's the, the guy that wasn't worth bringing in here. I do have one more, but he's not even worth bringing in here. He's the youngest, Jesse answered, and he is tending the sheep. 
And Samuel said, send for him and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had David brought in and he was glowing with glowing health, with health <laughs> and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint yeah. him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Do you know what I want to say, Daniel, as I, I was thinking about this passage and this kind of trajectory in Kings and, and just as you've been talking to, I've been thinking about our first point, you know, that a nation rises or falls on the strength and the character of its leaders. And one of the things that we see in ungodly leaders in our day and also in the scriptures is that they seek power and they're really in it for themselves. And all of the best leaders that we see in scripture and I'm, I'm going to have to think about this one yeah. for a while just to like check my homework on this. Yeah. But I don't think a single one of them ever, ever sought power. Yep. And that's really noteworthy. Yeah. None of them were ever seeking position. Yep. None of them ever sought the thing that God gave them in the end. There's one case, Moses, yeah. where Moses is the prince of Egypt and he sees that one of his own people is being oppressed by an He's Egyptian. He's kind of big dogging. And so he decides yeah. to rise up and acts. Luke later reflects, he was like... <laughs> Luke says, Moses thought that God, Moses thought that his people would think that God was using them to help them, but they understood it not or something like that. It was sort of like, don't you understand? I'm such a gift to you. And Moses has to go to the backside of Midian Midian. for 40 years before God calls him again into it. it Categorically throughout the scriptures, the best leaders are people that God finds. They're preoccupied with something else. They're doing something else. And I love that line in that text that you just read where it talks about how the young little David, who's off taking care of his father's sheep, he's ruddy, he's glowing, glowing with, with health, health, and he's handsome. Yeah. And it just made me think about how like, you know, I don't think that anything in the scriptures is an accident. Yeah. I just think that the Holy Spirit has like superintended yeah. all of the, the, the little details. And I think that the, the Spirit is slipping that detail in there for a reason. Yes. I think he's trying to say that humility looks good on yes, us. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. That there's these games of power that are being played in yeah. the world. And meanwhile, the humble ones are off on the side. Doing the work. They're doing the work. They're keeping their head down. And when the moment comes that Jesse arrives and says, there's a need for leadership and I'm pouring the oil yeah. on your head, there's no lust for power in your heart. Right. You can be trusted with it because you didn't want it. Yeah. The and others- I just think there's something to that that we have to get. I just think that there are too many folks out there that there's a thirst for leadership that's yeah. coming because they're trying to shore up some deficiency. Right in themselves, and so long as we use leadership yep. to shore up a deficiency in ourselves, we're going to wind up using other people and not being a blessing to other people. There's something in this for There's us. Something in it. I'll say it this way. Do everything you can at every turn to ruthlessly root out rivalry. Yeah, that's right. Like, I'm just not going to compete that's with right. you. That's right. I'm not going to... And some of you are going, wait, hey, that doesn't work out there. It's easy for you to say you're a pastor. You don't have to eat what you kill. (laughs) I'm telling you, I promise to God, if you will just get up in the morning and say, Lord, you are my provider. Lord, you are the one who is taking care of me all the days of my life. I don't have to live my life against other people. Yeah. 
So I'm going to settle into your provision. I'm gonna settle into my character and my identity as your son or your daughter. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look up at heaven, not across at my competitors. And I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to be my provider. I think you'll sleep better at night. I think you'll be surprised at God's provision. And even if you don't think it's true, I invite you to, to, to experiment for six months. Mm. Experiment with that for six months to just look vertically to, to God as your father, God as your provider, and see if God won't take care of you. Uh, I'll mm. say it this way, two truths that I hope you never forget from this point, from this text, mm. is one, if God wants you there, he'll preserve a place for you. Yeah, that's right. David was out oh, in the man. field, the seven brothers were doing America's, or Israel's Got Talent. Yeah, you that's know. right, that's right. <laughs> they were working it. They were in there working it with the powerful, you know, you know, Peacock, they were sending out the vibe, you know, doing all the stuff, trying to like, they were doing all the stuff. David's taking care of the sheep. And if God wants you there, he will preserve mm-hmm. a place for you. Mm-hmm. Second thing that I want you to see is if, if you have to fight to get it, you'll have to fight to keep it. That's right. That's right. So that's why you want to be called into it. Yeah. When you're called into it, it's like a welcome space. But when you step into it, you had to, yeah, you had to fight to get it. You're going to have to fight to keep it. I think, I don't think we want to live our lives this way. Psalm 75. Yeah. No one. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor, nor from, from the, the west, west. Yep. nor from the south. But God is the judge, and he putteth down one, yeah. and he setteth up another. Promotion does not come yeah. from you working your connections. Yeah. Promotion comes from the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Third thing that I want you to see here, and the question that this text, these texts beg to be asked mm. is, where are the prophets? Yeah, they're there. <laughs> they're there the whole time. You have these, it's called the kings, but most scholars think that this was actually written by one of the prophets. Mm-hmm. And the prophets have watched the rise and the fall of these kings, and the prophets are saying, see, <laughs> you kings, think that you're in charge of the world and that you're running the show. You're not actually. The word of the Lord somehow is over you and is governing you. And as much as you try to wriggle yourself free from it and as much as you try to slide out from underneath it, the word of the Lord is going to prevail over you. And I do think that that's a big question. Where are the prophets? And maybe a more fundamental question is like, what are the prophets, you know? Mm -hmm. And what the prophets are, I think when we think of prophecy, most of us think of making predictions about the future. You know, the rapture is going to happen in seven years or whatever it is. But that's not really the fundamental role of prophecy. The fundamental role of prophecy in Israel and the fundamental role of prophecy today is to come alongside power and to say, remember the word of the Lord. Remember. Remember that you belong to God. Humble yourself before the Lord. Remember that you belong to God. Remember that covenant is what guards our lives and Mm -hmm. keeps our lives. And if you violate this covenant, you're going to bring calamity down on Mm -hmm. your head. But if you stay in step with the covenant, blessing is going to come on your heads. And, And so in Kings, we needed the prophets because we saw the Kings doing this, but we still need the prophets today. Mm -hmm. We need, I think that we need to be a prophetic kind of people to the world. But I also think that in our own lives, we need prophetic influence. And again, that's not people saying to giving us sort of random prophecies. I think it's more about like somebody coming alongside us and going, hey, hear the word of the Lord. Are you walking with God? It's like somebody telling us no. Yes, yes. <laughs> and our willingness to listen to that. Yes, and I, I wrote down here, we don't know much about you 
until we see your response to a wise saint telling you no. Yeah, that's right. You don't know much about me until you see my response to a wise saint telling me no. That's right. You don't want a leader who is not submitted to authority. Yep. You do not want to trust your life to someone who is not able to be rebuked and be humble enough to receive the rebuke yeah. and say, you're absolutely right, I'm going to turn a different way. We just don't know about each other until we see what we do with a no. And I think, yeah. I mean, Andrew and I, we have elders that take us out. Thank God for that. At, here at New Life Church, yeah. they'll, they'll say, hey, let's get lunch. Hey, let's go. We, we do a yearly retreat with a couple of our elders who take Andrew and I away for three days and they, they run us through the gauntlet checking mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. How's your marriage? Mm-hmm. How's your home? How are your kids? How's your money? What, are you looking at anything goofy? What are you doing? Are you staying humble? Do you have good friends? Do you, they, they check us against the boards. And I'll just say, I don't want to live a life outside of that kind of protection. Yeah, that's right. And we don't know much about a person until we watch their response to someone telling them no. And I'll tell you, Andrew, as a pastor, maybe you've seen this, and I, I told Lisa last week, I, people, I'm not sure that people always want a true pastor. I'm no. not sure that people always want a prophetic witness in right. their life. And, and, <laughs> I've seen it through the years. I've, I've now almost been a pastor almost 20 years and I've grown up with my parents as pastors for 41 years and I just watch people are around, they're around, they're around. Yeah. It's great, they're smiling as they, until they get checked against the boards. Yeah, that's right. Until someone says, hey, that's not gonna work out for you. You shouldn't yeah. do that. You shouldn't go. And what happens is they've been around you know, three times a month. They come three times a month. They come three times a month. You start telling them no and then they start coming once every six weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you see them two years later mm. and, and you were telling them, hey, that's not gonna work out for you. That's not gonna work out for you. Please don't, please hear the word of the Lord. I promise you, we'll walk with you. What can we do to help? It's not going to work. You see them two years later at a kid's soccer game and they're with their live-in girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's great until the no comes. It's great until the prophetic rebuke comes. And I'm not saying that we are the guys and we know. I'm no, saying... No, it's just where does it, wherever it comes from, wherever as it long comes as it's from. the voice of righteousness, that's the prophetic word. And I, I, like, I love that about Pastor Brady, actually. Yep. I love it. I, you know, when I think about this thing, I think about what he says. Yep. Who in your life is telling you no? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think that's just the people above us, but he invites the no even from us. Yep. I mean, we answer to him, but he, so he'll say to us, what do you think? What do you think? Am I off base on this at all? Yep. What am I doing that's frustrating you? Yep. And if, if and when we have taken him up on that offer, if there's a, if there's a correction that comes in that, he receives it. Yep. We don't know very much about your character, as you said, until we see you respond to a correction. And that is, again, going back to Kings, you can think about that great moment in David's life. David has that horrible yeah. stretch. yeah where he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then he has Bathsheba's husband murdered and he's covering up the whole thing, it's disgusting. And the prophet Nathan comes to him and gives him the little parable and when David realizes that you he was talking that about man. him. Yeah, David Fall. crumbles. Yep. And Psalm 51 comes gushing out. Oh my gosh. Have mercy on me. How could I have done that? Have mercy on me, oh God, according to your unfailing love. When Solomon later in 1 Kings 
is corrected and rebuked for all of the idol worship that he has going on, yep. he doesn't crumble. Right. Instead, what he does is he bows up and he actually goes out and he tries to murder the very adversaries yeah. that God had raised up to oppose him. Yeah. We don't know anything about you. Yeah. And so we know how you respond to correction. Yep. Second Corinthians 13, five, and this hit me today. I, I really kind of had to stop. Mm. And Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in yeah. the faith. Yeah. That is sobering. Yeah. Examine yourselves yeah. to see whether you are in the faith. Paul is saying, like, you can come to a building on a weekly basis and kind of do the charade and, like, we work the system and... <laughs> Examine yourselves yeah. to see whether you are in the faith. He's talking uh-huh. to the church here. He's not talking to the outside world. He's not talking to those people yeah, out right. there or those sinners who are come home. He's talking to the church. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, Uh. unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Mm. The only way we're going to examine ourselves and meet the test over the long haul is to have a community of prophetic love and rebuke right around us. A community that can tell us no. A community that knows us well enough to look us in the eyes. And Andrew's done this to me through the years, and I've done this to him. Totally. What's, what's going on? Yeah, you all right? Are you okay? You all right? Let's I, talk. It, it doesn't, are you okay? Because yeah. I know you. Yeah. I've known you since you were. I see that look in your I eye. I see that look in your yeah. eye. Yeah, something, about, honest, your, something about your body language right. is off. It's not right. Oh, yeah. You're hiding. Where yeah. have you been? That's right, that's right. You're still, you, we office next door to each other. Mm-hmm. We see each other every day. So you can be around each other, yeah. but not be around each other. Yeah. And yeah. so we'll check up on each other. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you were in the faith. So Can I say, say something one please, more? Just one more please. thing about this. I want to say this also, just because sometimes I think when we think of submission, we think of this like negative thing that we need to do Heavy-handed. when we're off base. Mm. But you know what's really interesting is that the whole life of Jesus Christ is a submission. Yeah. And he was never <laughs> off base. Joyful. But he took joy in always submitting to his father. So Paul says, mm. examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. Maybe we don't really know whether we're in the faith until we've actually learned how to submit ourselves. And it's not a negative thing. It's yeah. not this, ah, but it's like we take pleasure in saying yes to the will of another. Yeah. And that will always come to us through human beings. Yeah. And I just want to say to you, especially for those of you, there are some of you in this room. I just felt this when I was preparing this morning, that there are some of this, you in this room that you have this whole huge amount of righteous drive. Mm. And you just really want to go out and accomplish things for God and mm-hmm. do things for God. And that's so good. Mm-hmm. But I want to invite you into like, you need to figure out a way to get that righteous drive even submitted to other people. Mm. Like be willing to go through the scrutiny of having other people go, hey, can we just like, yes. I want to ask you a question about that plan that you're making yes. or that thing that you're doing there. Or I'm not really sure if maybe that's the best way to go about it. I see what you're doing. Or you're going too fast. There's nobody you're that's above that. Again, just think about this. There's nobody that's above that. Yeah. Because even Jesus had to do that with his father. And I was thinking about uh, Mother Teresa. We know Mother Teresa and the great work that she did in Calcutta serving the poorest of the poor. What most of us don't know is that when she first moved there, she was a teacher at a school in India. And then God put this burden in her heart to go even deeper into poverty to establish the missionaries of charity. And so what does she do with that desire? Well, she doesn't go off and go rogue. Right. And decide to start this thing because I've just got a call from the Lord to do this. You know, she does. She writes her superiors. 
in the Catholic Church, she wrote to her pastors. And they said no for years. And they years. said no for a really long time. And she had to eat that disappointment. Can you and imagine the t- Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa! You better than Mother Teresa? You can't tell, like, they told Mother Teresa, you can't do this. That's it. For years. That's it. And if there's, like, any human on earth Jeez. that you could have trusted just to, like, yeah, go, do whatever you want to do, surely it's Mother Teresa. But instead, no. There was a sense of discernment. Yes. This isn't the right time. This isn't the right way. We need to pray about this more. We together need to get on the same page about this. And I am utterly convinced, I've studied her life inside and out. I'm utterly convinced that we look at the missionaries of charity and we go, wow, Mother Teresa was amazing. But I think so much of it came because that thing was supported and blessed and covered. Yes. That's why it endured across the decades. And so for those of you that have those deep, righteous desires and you want to just pop off and get things done, please find a way to call together a community of people that can run with you, cover you, bless you, support the work. Check your freaking ego at the door. Yes, yes. Because it'll ruin you in the process. Everybody has to submit. Even the sinless son of God had to submit. Yes. You're not better than him. Yes. Hallelujah, amen. We show our true character We show our true character when we are confronted by the word of the Lord that is against us Mm. so that it can be for us. Mm -hmm. A prophet will feel like the prophetic word of the Lord, the the no of heaven, feels like it's first against us. It is. Mm -hmm. It's against us so that it can be for us. That's right. And when we submit to that initial pass of againstness, the no, when we slow ourselves down, what happens is the spirit saves us and protects us and redirects us into a way that is a way of everlasting life. Friends, have some prophetic witness around you. Submit your life. All of us together, we will show up old and holy. That's our mantra, old and holy. holy. We talk about that all the time. We want to be old and holy. We will show up old and holy (laughs) only as we submit our lives to the prophetic no. Can you say amen Amen. tonight? Amen. Fourth thing, we're landing the plane. Two more quick things. You can't outrun God. (laughs) So here's what I've loved about 1 Kings is that there's all of these ups and downs and the nation is veering left and right and it's going crazy. But all throughout, there is this refrain, and the word of the Lord came, and the word of the Lord came, and the word of the Lord that was spoken through so-and-so proved true. Mm-hmm. And it's fa- fascinating, because when you read any book, that, any book that you read, any story that you read, you're always looking for the hero. And so when we open Kings, what we think initially is like, oh, Solomon. Good job, man. That's our guy. Let's like go, Solomon bro. is the hero. But Solomon kind of goes sideways at the end. And then we think, well, maybe it's divine wisdom, just kind of in the abstract. That's really the hero here. But Solomon, who's like the embodiment of wisdom in Kings, he like goes sideways. And then we think, well, maybe it's like the law of the Lord Mm -hmm. is the thing. But somehow in 1 Kings, Torah like completely disappears. So then we think, well, maybe it's the temple. But by the end of 2 Kings, you know, like the temple is like completely destroyed. And you're looking for a hero in this whole thing. And you know what the hero is? The hero is the word of the Lord, (laughs) that somehow God's will and God's purposes and God's determination to have a people and to have a people for himself outpaces all of the craziness. It's the word of the Lord that actually endures. You can't outrun God. And so much is that the case that even when, I mean, we get first Kings and second Kings and Israel tries decisively to yank itself off the rails and they're hauled away into exile. 
Mm. And the word of the Lord finds them in exile too. And it just makes me think that sometimes I think a temptation with like reading a book like this is we go, okay, where's the hero or where are all the failures? And now we have to do so much better than these people where they failed. And I think if you think that, you've missed the whole freaking biblical story. (laughs) The whole thing is not that we can succeed where Israel failed. It's that we're all lumped into the failure together. And we just better throw ourselves on the mercy of God who's carrying our story through to a good conclusion. The word of the Lord, capital W. That's right. Jesus Christ himself shows up. That's right. So first Kings, they throw it away. Second Kings, they throw it away. The story keeps on. Malachi, yes. 400 years of silence. It's darkness. Yes. And all of a sudden, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh. That's right. And dwelt among us. God will keep running after us. And Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh is the statement that God mm. will not ultimately leave us alone. God is so interested as to move in among us. He will not leave us alone. The word of the Lord. So if you have thrown your life away, yeah. the word of the Lord is here. Jesus himself oh, to save you. you if you are it. in despair, the word of the Lord Jesus is here to strengthen you and to comfort you. That's if right. you have been a fool and rejected the prophetic no for years, yeah. the word of the Lord Jesus Christ is here tonight and he says, come on home, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Friends, you cannot outrun God because God is running after you in Jesus Christ. That's the fourth thing. Can you say amen, amen to that? that? You take it home. The kindness of God. The fifth thing that stands out is the kindness of God. It would be easy, I think, to think that the way that the word of the Lord triumphs over us or prevails over us is by meanness, but that is absolutely not the case. Right. And I, I mentioned, no, oh, I can't find it in here, but I mentioned the end of Second Kings. Mm-hmm. Here Israel has made this like complete mess of itself. The wheels have utterly fallen off and the Israelite king is in Babylonian exile thrown in a prison he's in a deep dark dungeon and you think well that's the moment there where the story is over and it's all run out of steam and the scripture says at the end of second kings that the Babylonian king somehow he takes pity on the Israelite king that's in prison and he lifts him up out of prison to his table and he takes off his prison clothes yeah and he puts on royal robes (laughs) and he calls him to the table, and for the rest of his, his life, life, the Israelite king ate at the king's table, though he deserved it not. Yes. And if you miss that in the biblical story, you miss the whole thing in the biblical story. That, to me, I read that and I go, oh, that's what Jesus does for us. Yes. And that actually is, I think, if Jesus is the word of the Lord proved true, yes. if he is the word of the Lord in human flesh, then I think that somehow in that Babylonian king, that just was Jesus Christ. Being good to that Israelite. Where are you going to go from the goodness of God is my point. And there's some of you that are here tonight and you have made a complete, complete wreck of your lives. A complete wreck. And even there, the psalmist is like, if I go up to heaven, you're there. Yes. You know, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, you're there. But then he's like, if I make my bed in hell. Yeah. You go, you go there too, like you, you find me. And I don't, I don't know what to say about that other than somehow, some way, we're enclosed in the goodness of God. Yeah. And the better thing for us to do <laughs> is to submit ourselves to God and walk in righteousness and holiness all of our days. Yeah. 
But even when we yank ourselves away from the purposes of God, God goes, oh, okay, that's the game you're going to play. I'll, I'll put you back together. I'm going to find a way to find you even in hell and bring you home yeah. and restore you Let me ask you this. To me. Talk as a pastor. Yeah. So we've, we've addressed those of us who have ruined our lives or, or just been stupid. We've, we, what about those whose lives have been ruined mm. by someone else's stupidity? Oh, man. What do you say tonight to them? Because that's real. Yeah. It's one thing if I, it's a yeah. self-inflicted wound. I, I was an idiot and I blew it up and yeah. okay, I gotta pay the price and I gotta own that. Yeah. What about for those who were doing it right and honoring the Lord and trying to be faithful but their wagon was hitched yeah. to someone who ran off the road and it just blew them up? God loves you and he's for you. And Jesus weeps with you and he's sorry about that. His heart breaks for you. And he was there. He was there in the midst of all of that and he's still there for you now and the one who began the good work in you is faithful, faithful to, to carry it, it on to completion yeah. until the day of Christ Jesus the Corey Ten Boom the Holocaust survivor once said that there's no pit so deep that God's love not deeper is not still. deeper still yeah. and you find yourself at rock bottom like Benson said dear God God is the rock at the bottom of the pit <laughs> all of that stuff is true and I, I'm sorry and I'm my, sorry. if that's you I'm sorry yeah. and my heart breaks for you and I'll add this, that if you'll stay sweet and if you'll stay humble, if you'll stay submitted to God, if you'll refuse to let bitterness and anger pollute your heart, what will happen is a miracle will take place. And you'll be able to look back on this thing and say, I wouldn't wish that thing on my worst enemy. And if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't want to go through that thing again. But in the weirdest way possible, that was like the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And I am who I am now because of what I went through there. And who I am now, I wouldn't trade for for anything anything in the the world. I mean, that's what what Paul says. That in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So even if somebody else made a disaster of your life... You cannot run the goodness of God. It's there. Trust it. Trust the power of resurrection. That somehow, even when you're in the depths of the grave, that somehow the power of resurrection is there to bring you up out of it and put life back together again. Stand with us. Andrew, let's pray. I'm going to pray and invite those of you who feel like tonight is your night to repent. I'm going to invite you to repent. I do this every day. You never outgrow repentance. Yeah, that's right. You never graduate. That's right. So I'm going to pray over those of you who go, it's my night to just say, have mercy on me, oh God. Andrew, you're going to pray over those whose lives have been destroyed by someone else's stupidity. So if you are the one who says, have mercy on me, oh God. Can we put that prayer of confession up on the screen? All of us in some way can ask God to tidy us up tonight, to heal us tonight, to cleanse us tonight, to wash us tonight, to purify our motives. So I invite all of us tonight to take these words from King David in his most embarrassing, heartbreaking, foolish hour. When he had hit rock bottom, he took these words up on his lips. And I invite you tonight to pray these words with me. Before you do, can you lay your hand on your heart? Can you just tell the Lord you want to be old and holy? I want to be old and holy. 
Can you tell them you want to be innocent at the end? Can you tell them that you want to be purified and washed and cleansed? Can you tell them that you want to stand over the decades, not perfect, but clean? Lord, hear our cry tonight. We need your mercy tonight. We need your forgiveness tonight. We need you to wash us deeply tonight. Search us and know us and see if there be any wicked way in us. These words are going to be on the screen now. And would you join me in praying this prayer of confession by saying, Most Most merciful God, God, we confess that that we have sinned against you in thought, thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now Andrew. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, we call upon you. We call upon your name. I'm lifting up before you all my brothers and sisters in this room who have been damaged by others. They were doing it right. They had themselves submitted. They were on the path. And somebody did violence against them. Somebody else's unrighteous Uh, unrighteousness, somebody else's disobedience caused them to suffer. Jesus. And we just say, Lord Jesus Christ, have pity. Have mercy. Have mercy, oh God. I'm praying for all those in this room that have suffered sexual trauma at the hands of somebody. Have mercy. Jesus, have pity. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, let there be balm. Jesus, create freedom from it. I'm asking for all of those who have suffered other forms of physical abuse. We Jesus. say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy, yep. have pity. Touch your peace. Yep, there it is. Yeah. I'm praying for all of those in this room that have suffered emotional abuse at the hands of others. I'm yeah, saying, Jesus, have mercy. have mercy. Jesus, have pity. Have mercy. I'm praying for all of those in this room that they were in business. They had a friend or a colleague. They were doing something together, and their whole thing was torpedo. They were taken advantage of. Lord Jesus, have mercy. We say, Lord Jesus, Make have it right. pity. Make it right. I'm praying for all of those in this room that they suffered somebody taking advantage of the legal system and worked it against them and now they're bereft, they're lost and they don't know, they're not sure if there's justice still in the world. Jesus, I'm saying, have mercy. Jesus, take pity. And now I pray over your children, your people, your disciples. I pray the prayer of the psalmist, Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord. Contend, O Lord, with those those who contend contend with with me. me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and buckler. Rise and come to my defense. And we pray that that would be the case tonight. We ask that every single one of those in this room that has been abused, that has suffered, that has been taken advantage of, that they would know you to be the strong God. Yes, Lord. That they would know you to be the shield and the defender the God who takes us out of the small cramped quarters that we're in when we've yes. got the enemies are encamped against us yes. on every side. You're the, one you're the one who plucks us up out of that. You're the one, as the psalmist said, who rescued me because you delighted me. Yes. You're the one yes. who sets our feet, feet in a spacious, yeah. 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 Place. spacious place. And so I'm praying over all of them. 
Lord, I'm asking that you'd give them a place to breathe. Yes. I'm asking that you'd give them a place to live and move and have their being. Let it be. I'm asking that you would give them, I'm asking that everything that the locusts devoured would be repaid into their lives, multiplied sevenfold. Do it. Do it, oh God. Rise and come to the aid of your people whom you love. In Jesus' name. I want to call our communion servers to come forward. I could hardly think of a better thing to do. Rise and come to our aid, O oh God. We're going to come to the table of the Lord here in just a minute and experience the God who has risen and come to our aid. So you'll come through the room. If you're physically able, walk through, grab your stuff. If you're not, tap your neighbor. They'll bring you some. But as we worship, hold your communion elements there. Respond to the Holy Spirit's move tonight. And in just a minute, I'll come and we'll receive communion together. Let's worship Jesus. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell that you're pleased in that I'm never alone you're a good good father to you are to you are to you are Yeah. 
God is here to put us back together tonight. If we've thrown it away, he's here to put us back together tonight. If someone else threw it away for us, he's here to put us back together tonight. Jesus is the God who has risen to come to our aid. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer right there in your hands? broken bread is a a signifier it's a picture there's going to be brokenness in the story but he says this is my body and the most important thing that you need to remember is that my body has been broken for you and as often as you do this jesus says do this for the remembrance of me remember don't you ever forget that my body was broken for you so that you could be put back together Jesus' brokenness becomes our bread. (laughs) It becomes our sustenance. It becomes our provision. So tonight, we are not alone. God is for us. Friends, Jesus has made a way. You may receive the bread. What about the sin, the failure? Jesus says this cup is the new covenant given in my blood. And it's given for the remission of your sins. It's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, remember. So tonight I announce to you the good news of the gospel. If any person be in Christ, (laughs) they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. If we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, tonight, if you're calling on the name of Jesus, you are clean, you are washed, you are forgiven. You Drink up to your forgiveness tonight. Come on, let's sing it. It's running after us. It's running after us. Your goodness is running
can you all open your hands tonight to receive the blessing? I pray first that you'd have a great week. I know a lot of us need rest. I pray you'd have a restful, beautiful week. I pray that you have great conversations with people that you love. I pray that you would experience God's goodness. I pray that you'd be surprised this week with refreshment and with joy and with blessing. I pray may the Lord our God bless you and may he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And I pray that the Lord would lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people. And may he grant you his peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? All right, three things. All right, hang tight. Can we first say thank you to the Andrew Arndt tonight for coming? We love you. We bless you. We thank God for you. Second thing, no church next week here, Friday night. Go to East next Sunday, okay? All right. Third, December 1st, Legacy Offering. When we come back, let's knock that debt out in Jesus' name. Last thing, uh, prayer team is coming down front for any prayer needs you might have. And if you're new, come see us at Guest Central. Go from here in God's grace and peace. Much love.